Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. Today, what we're doing is we're actually kicking off a new series called the Summer of Wisdom. So all summer, we're going to really go after trying to gain some biblical wisdom. All right. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be spending time this summer in what is known as the wisdom literature or wisdom poetry literature. So we're going to spend time in Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes and the book of Psalms. And so during this month, in the month of May, many of you already know, some of you don't, we're going to be reading through the book of Proverbs together, okay? So if you've been keeping up, you should be on Proverbs chapter what today? 12, that's right, okay, so 31 chapters for 31 days, it's neat how that works out so conveniently, right? Okay, so I wanted to sort of introduce the book of Proverbs today, so we're going to spend some time kind of uh, unpacking a little bit by way of introduction and background the book of Proverbs And so to do that, to begin, we're going to watch this Bible Project video. The Book of Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom. And this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the Book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well. And so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now, wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. 
Now, this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are 10 speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. The father warns his son also about folly and evil and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now, these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people. Which connects to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe, and so wherever you see people make making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice. You're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. So we'll stop there because we're going to spend much of our time today in that beginning section of Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, which hopefully many of you guys have been reading over the last week or so. And I wanted to kind of set our minds, right? How many of you guys have ever read the book of Proverbs? Okay, so much of the room. The Proverbs is a a really popular biblical book, right? It's many times you can find a a Bible sort of copy with just the Psalms and Proverbs in it, and that's all there is. And so Proverbs are, are well known. But as we read the book of Proverbs, we've got to be careful in our interpretation, right? Because objections could be raised that the Proverbs contradict themselves and and maybe even other parts of the Bible as well. Like where Proverbs seems to assert that long life will be given to the wise and an untimely death to the wicked. But we've got to consider that the nature of what a proverb is and how it would have been understood to its original audience because clearly we have seen plenty of examples of where wicked people don't die early, right? And where wise people don't necessarily enjoy long life. And so we've got to understand what a proverb is. The types of things that we see in the book of Proverbs in the Bible reflect a way of thinking and a way of teaching that's really largely been abandoned by modern Western culture. And so it can be very difficult for us to understand what the original audience of Proverbs would have understood as they heard and interpreted these these sayings. 
So if you're following along in your notes, you'll see that Proverbs are general statements of truth rather than invariable promises or laws. So an individual proverb normally captures just a tiny little cross-section of truth rather than making a comprehensive statement about a particular topic. So are you following that? The proverbs are generalized truths. They're catching a tiny cross-section of truth. They're not a comprehensive statement about a particular topic. They're not like laws or invariable promises, right? They're general truths. Sometimes we can tend to read Proverbs like they should be laws or we're expecting them to be laws, which can lead to a lot of problems in our interpretation and application. So most Proverbs state a single general truth with little attempt to note exceptions or qualifications to that truth, right? So this helps us to understand the principle of that truth rather than getting caught in the weeds of all of the exceptions of that truth. Does that make sense? So the goal of the book of Proverbs is not to outline a law of exactly how life works in every possible scenario. It's presenting us the opportunity to develop skill to live according to the order that God has embedded in his creation. What wisdom calls, or what Proverbs calls wisdom. So the book of Proverbs is calling wisdom a skill. Something we have to practice and get better at. We've got to develop and grow in the skill of wisdom. It's not innate. Nobody's born wise, according to God's word. It's something we've got to practice. It's something we've got to apply ourselves to. It's something we have to be trained by. Being good at life is not innate. This is why we see people, even later in their lives, even in the twilight of their life, committing suicide, divorcing, living in bondage to sin and enslaved by their desires that lead to their own pain, loneliness, sadness, and despair. Being good at life is not innate. The more you live doesn't necessarily mean you're naturally going to become better at living life, right? We've seen that. We've experienced that ourselves. This is because we've not found wisdom. We've not practiced wisdom. Living life well is not easy. And I want to take a quick moment to give a shout out and congratulate all of our college grads and uh, all the families in town. So uh, I want to congratulate you for applying yourselves uh, and achieving such a great accomplishment. But I've also got to take a moment to be honest with you. And I'm looking over here because it's kind of our college grad section and maybe kind of our looking to graduate college section one day, hopefully soon. I've got to be honest and say that probably something that wasn't said at your commencement yesterday, and that's the fact that your degree is not likely to help you live your life well. Your degree is not equipping you with that kind of wisdom. They might be equipping you with some knowledge and some skill, but not the knowledge and skill to live life well, according to God. But God is trying to help us through his word in order that we may live the best life because he's the author of life itself. So he knows how to live it well. But we have to apply ourselves to gaining wisdom. 
to living skillfully. We have to make effort to do that. Just like you have to make effort to go to class, to study, to listen to your teachers, to submit yourself to their instruction so that you can gain the skill and knowledge needed to do what? Ultimately make money. Maybe try to make the world a better place. But not to really live skillfully as God designed it, to live wisely. And so some of you astute, head of the class type readers out there, you might read the book of Proverbs and you might ask, how could Solomon be so wise and yet die a fool? Because Solomon is the principal author of the book of Proverbs. And as you read the Bible carefully, you realize that his heart went astray towards the end of his life. And yet Proverbs 19, 27 tells us exactly how this happens. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. This means that being wise one day is no guarantee that you're going to be wise the next day. Just because you're wise now doesn't mean you're going to be wise tomorrow. Just because you live wisely now because you pursue wisdom and you're good at living life now according to God's moral code of life doesn't mean that you will be at the end of your life. We have to keep applying ourselves to knowledge. We have to keep seeking wisdom. And I want to encourage all of us, no matter where we're at in our life or our our faith journey, that we start and we continue to seek to be wise and good at life. Even as we're talking with Kate and we're hearing about her faith, the journey and her life, and many, many others of us out here as well, We have our own stories that reaffirm these truths. Just because we're living wisely at one point of our life doesn't guarantee we will at another point. What does this mean? Seeking wisdom is a lifelong endeavor. We never reach the end of it. We never get to the end of the line. We never arrive. It's something we continue to do. And guess what? The book of Proverbs is going to help us do this. The book of Proverbs in the first nine chapters were introduced to two primary personified characters, a father speaking to his son and good old lady wisdom. I figured for Mother's Day, we'd focus in on ladies, lady, lady wisdom. How does that sound? Maybe for Father's Day, we can come back to the father talking to his son. But let's open up to Proverbs chapter one together, if you don't mind. Proverbs chapter one. The book outlines its own purpose and theme for us, why it's written, who it's written to, what it's trying to accomplish. It's listed for us right there in the first few verses. And in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word wisdom here that fools despise Again, as you saw in the video, oftentimes we think of wisdom like intellectual knowledge. That's not really what this word wisdom here would have meant to the original audience. And you got to hear Tim say that Hebrew word that sounded really neat and cool and funny. The right. Can you guys do that? The right. Okay. This word wisdom actually here means much more similar to skill, not knowledge or intellect or information, but skill applied knowledge. Right. Not just knowing something intellectually. It means doing something in action. It means applying your knowledge to how you live and the choices that you make, the decisions that you make. That's the kind of wisdom it says fools 
despise. And this word fool here, again, in English, we typically think of like a court jester, just someone who's silly or not to be taken seriously or just kind of aloof or whatever. This word here, fool, actually has to do more with, and if you're reading the NIV, you probably see a footnote, it has to do with spurning morality. Someone who's not living morally or who is morally deficient, that's what the Bible calls a fool. And so he says here that the beginning of knowledge The beginning of us being able to live life well, to live life wisely, to be good at life, the beginning of doing that, the starting place of being able to live life well, is actually to fear the Lord. So let's talk about that for a minute. Because I'm assuming that all of you are here because you want to live life well, right? Most of us don't want to sign up to live life poorly, you know? We want to live life well, but we've got to understand probably more clearly or perhaps radically differently what it means to live life well. What is the good life? Because how you define the good life will determine how you're pursuing it, right? And so I want the scriptures, the word of God to help define for us what is the good life and how do we go after it? How do we achieve it? He says the starting place is to fear the Lord. To fear God here means not having terror but to have a respect for God's definition of morality, to have respect for God's definition of good and evil, and that we would humbly submit and obey his definitions of morality, even if it's not convenient to us and our own desires. This is what it means to fear God. It means to submit to his definitions of life. It's a moral mindset to fear God. It doesn't have to do with our emotions. It's not about feeling afraid. To fear God here has to do with a moral mindset that we recognize that we're not God and that we cannot define good and evil for ourselves and it go well for us. That's the first couple of pages of the Bible. Humans reject God's authority. They no longer fear the Lord and say, I don't want your moral code coming over my life. I want to be the moral definer of my reality. And then we see throughout the rest of scripture for thousands of years and our own lives included, it never goes well. Us defining morality, good and evil for ourselves, it doesn't lead to the good life. Now we think it does and we might enjoy it for a while. As Kate mentioned, it feels free. I don't have these rules binding me. I don't have to live this way or that way. But what does it produce? Pain and anguish. And so through experience, we realize, man, us defining good and evil for ourselves hurts us and everyone around us. And we see that on an individual scale, a community scale and a global scale. So here Proverbs is saying that there is a prerequisite to being good at life. And the prerequisite is humility. You cannot be wise if you are proud. To be wise, to live life well, to be skillful at gaining this good life means that we have to start humbly accepting that we're not God. We don't get to define the rules. That's what it means to live life well. I want to take a look at this personified character of Lady Wisdom, right? 
Look over in chapter 3. Let's take a look at what Lady Wisdom says some of her value is. Maybe I could contrast Lady Wisdom with Lady Worldly. What does Lady Worldly tell us her value is? Money. Money. I'm thinking more specifically of ladies. Beauty, sex appeal, pleasure. That is the value of worldly lady. And the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs talk a great deal about her as well. It calls her the adulterous woman or the wayward woman. And the value that she brings is actually a mirage. It's cloaked. She brings death, but it looks like pleasure. She brings the grave, but it looks like freedom. And this adulterous woman or wayward woman is being contrasted with Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom tells us what her value is. In chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she, wisdom and understanding, she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Bible saying that girl is hot. <laughs> Nothing you desire can be compared with her. That's pretty astounding, right? Like that's a strong statement. So we have to wrestle with, do we believe that? Do we believe that this is actually Lady Wisdom's value or not? Look over in chapter 8 of Proverbs. In verse 10, she continues on describing what her true value is. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. Look down in verse 19. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Have you ever met a wealthy person who was unhappy with their life? Lady Wisdom is telling us why this happens. Have you ever heard of someone who was rich beyond your wildest dreams, but was still dissatisfied with their life, even though they could buy anything they wanted? You ever heard of a person like that? We see them on media all the time. Lady Wisdom is telling us my value is greater than that. My value is greater than all the money and riches in the world. And many times, even as Christians, even as people trying to submit to the wisdom of God at being good at life, we fall into this trap and we think that money's going to solve it. And we make subtle decisions in that direction and in that path. And we make every effort thinking that Lady Money is going to give us the good life. And we see these rich people and we say, oh man, what's their problem? If I had their money, I wouldn't be feeling like that. Are you sure? I've met some extremely wealthy people in my life. Money does not lead to happiness. We have all heard that. We all know that. But isn't it so easy to be deceived? Lady Wisdom says that her value is greater than all the treasures of the world. And remember who's writing this. The wealthiest man who had ever lived. King Solomon. 
The book of Proverbs is telling us that the value of lady wisdom is to be good at life. And that money actually doesn't help us do that. But that wisdom, that knowledge, that humility is actually more valuable than even silver and gold. It's more valuable than stocks and bonds. It's more valuable than having bought a hundred shares of Apple stock back in 1984. The first company, I believe, to ever become a trillion dollar company. Wisdom is better than that. To have wisdom, to submit to God's moral instruction, it yields a better return and a better life than anything else. Let's take a look. I'm sorry, I wanted to, before we take a look at this other video that is going to dive into Lady Wisdom even further, I look at my life, right, and, and depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, I'm really young or I'm really old. I'm right in that middle spot, right? I've lived enough life, though, to know that life is extremely fragile and can end in an instant. We've been studying the Bible with a young man, a freshman at UNCA, talking about God and discipleship. He drove home to Charlotte for the summer and he flipped his car. He showed me a picture of the car upside down in a ditch. The police officer said, hardly anyone walks away from this unscratched, and he did. At 18 years old, he's coming face to face with the stark truth. Life is very short. And I look at the loving relationships that last a lifetime. The relationship with my wife that I pray to have for the rest of my life, that is better than being able to take my own private jet to some exotic destination. Being respected and loved by my children is better than getting congratulated by my boss and being given a raise or a bonus at work. Helping my fellow man and fighting for justice out of love leads to a better life than selfishly using others for my own benefit. This is the good life. But the good life doesn't come easy. And as a church family, we're going to try to get wisdom this summer. We're going to try to be good at life this summer. We're going to help each other be good at life. Does that sound exciting to you? So the next time you see somebody not being good at life, say, hey, bro, hey, sis, let's be good at life. Let's be humble. Let's submit to the teachings and the moral code of God, even when it's inconvenient to us. That's when living the good life isn't easy. Because our definition of the good life and God's definitions are not going to be the same thing. Let's take a look at this. There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective, and it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything. Work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights, 
things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokhmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokhmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokhmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokhmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokhmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokhmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And chokhmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is really beautiful. But if we take a step back, some people would argue it's a little too simplistic. Because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people, and sometimes oh. foolish people get rewarded. It doesn't always work the way we think it should work. That's right. Which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend, Ecclesiastes the Critic. Because he's wrestled with that very problem, and he's going to push us further in our journey to find the good life. So before we get to Ecclesiastes next month, we're going to spend a little bit more time in Proverbs this month. And so I want to encourage you, there's some practices on the back of your handout, uh, that this month we're going to be reading through the book of Proverbs. 
Next Sunday, we're actually going to be in our roundtable setup again, and we're going to be uh, discussing together at our tables how we can apply the wisdom of some of these Proverbs from chapters 10 to 18. So chapters 10 to 18 is our reading of Proverbs over this next week, and then we're going to spend some time discussing it as a church family, and how can we actually go gain this wisdom that the Proverbs is allowing us to have. So please come prepared for that, and I also invite you on the handout to write down one to five of your favorite things in Proverbs and maybe commit some of them to memory so that we can continue to seek after the good life as God defines it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have not left us here to wander around aimlessly, but that you've given us instruction. You've given us a light to our feet, a light to our path that we can walk in a way that is wise. And God, we know that there's still great mystery in all of that. We know that the universe, the universe is not always exactly a cause and effect, but we want to have a fear of you. We want to be humble, to know that we're not good at defining good and evil. We don't excel at being the masters of our own destiny. And God, I pray that you would Help our hearts through whatever means it takes to be humble before you. To know that, as Peter said, if we humble ourselves before your mighty hand, you will lift us up in due time. Thank you, God, that we not only have an opportunity to live the good life here, to live wisely, but that we have an opportunity to live eternally with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.